Hello and a warm welcome to Econoday Unplugged on Wednesday, the 4th of March 2021. Mark Penders on the US East Coast, Brian Jackson's in Sydney, and I'm Jeremy Hawkins here in London. Well, it's been an especially volatile time in the financial markets since our last podcast. We said then that a battle was looming between traders and the central banks over where long-term borrowing costs were headed. And a week ago today, hostilities broke out in earnest. Just who will win this encounter is hard to say. But at this stage, I guess the markets have a narrow lead. So following last Thursday's bond market route, the stock market slump. Monday saw yields fall sharply. The US S&P 500 index post its biggest one-day gain in almost nine months, in fact, erasing nearly all of last week's declines. Since then, things have been rather more stable, but away from COVID, the focus is still on inflation expectations and US yields are creeping up again. Central banks, of course, are never keen on excessive volatility. And one of their groups that's been particularly proactive in trying to calm investor nerves is the RBA which upped its bond buying to reaffirm its commitment to protecting its three-year yield target. So, Bran, if we kick off with you first, how far do you think the RBA is prepared to go to keep yields down? And given that the Australian economy expanded more than 3% last quarter, do domestic economic fundamentals justify maintaining historically low borrowing levels in the first place? Well, there is starting to be uh, questions raised about that. Just, uh, you know, we know that uh, the RBA has for some months now been saying, you know, we don't think um, the conditions will be met for us to, you know, uh, take the take the foot off the gas for another three years. So 2024 is a long time away, and they're, but they've been saying pretty clearly that they think uh, policy rates need to be kept at this record low until then and, and intimating that uh, they'll keep on uh, using other measures to, to keep rates very low up until that period. But, uh, you know, the data is starting to uh, uh, look a lot better than what it was when they started uh, with this message just a few months ago. Right. So to interrupt you then, why, given that, as you say, the data are improving, why do they want to keep yields so low? Is it just due to the exchange rate? That, that's part of it. Um, but also, you know, I, th- I think they obviously have their um, uh, policy targets for, for inflation and, and for employment. And, you know, there's still a long way to go before I think you're going to see um, any real move in, in wage pressures. That's, that's, that hasn't started to, to uh, uh, eventuate yet. And so, you know, their inflation target is still looking a long way off. And so uh, until that happens, you know, I think they want to keep policy very supportive and accommodative and, uh, and try and get, uh, you know, try and get some juice into the economy as much as they can. Mm, interesting. Let me switch across to New Zealand then. Um, I mean, one of the risks of keeping borrowing costs down, as we've seen a number of different countries now, and Mark can certainly chip in on that, um, is that the more interest rate sensitive sectors uh, can overheat and housing is you know, clearly an obvious uh, case in point. Now, last month, the Reserve Bank of New Zealand chose to reimpose loan, uh, loan to value ratios to help cool its housing market. Now, if I got it right, the government has actually instructed the central bank to consider the impact on housing when making monetary and financial policy decisions. So does this mean then that we're going to see potentially higher interest rates in New Zealand sooner rather than later? Does it kind of undermine central bank independence if the uh, the government's getting involved in it? And does it also mean that you know, they're going to have to accept a stronger New Zealand dollar? Uh, these are all... Uh, Answer those in whichever order you fancy. <laughs> well, 
it's always a, you know, a challenge for uh, particularly a small open economy like New Zealand to try and manage the, the, the policy mix between the exchange rate, between uh, you know, domestic interest rates and the impact that that has on different sectors of the economy. So that's um, something I think the policymakers at the RBNZ are, are used to, mm-hmm. to managing. Um, but you, know, you, you can't always uh, meet all your goals at, at the same time. And sometimes you have to be a little bit flexible on, on what you prioritise. And so you know, I think at the moment, uh, you know, they've still got pretty severe uh, health restrictions put in place in New Zealand. That's still having uh, an impact on, on the overall economy. You know, if, if things are starting to um, heat up in the property market, then I, I still think that the RBNZ is going to be trying to just get the, you know, the, the, the real economy moving again. And if there's some other policy levers that they can pull to try and uh, you know, stop the property market getting too heated, then I think they'll be prepared to do that. In terms of um, you know, independence, um, I'm not 100% sure what, um, what the RBNZ's uh, specific uh, remit on, on, on property uh, prices is. I, I don't think they have a specific target for that. Mm-hmm. And so I, I don't think that's going to really uh, undermine their credibility as an independent central bank. OK, fair enough. Um, so what about the rest of your region then? In particular, we've got what the in China, obviously, folks will be interested in what's going on there. We get the National People's Congress kicking off tomorrow, I think, if I remember rightly. Um, yeah. Is there any in particular we should be looking at policy wise for any kind of you know changes? Is there going to be more issues about tackling rising debt or, or what's going on? Yeah, that's a perennial issue, and I, I think that will continue to be um, a, a, a bit of a headache for uh, Beijing. Um, over the last 12 months, obviously, they've uh, had to ramp up spending in a lot of parts of the economy uh, and not necessarily in the most effective way. And, and, and that's a, you know, something that often happens in China when it gets really loose on, on policy. It tends to have um, debt problems you know, 12, 18 months down the road. The, the thing about China, though, of course, is that we're right at that time of the year where we're sort of a little bit blind about how things are going there because uh, we don't have, um, you know, the Chinese don't release uh, separate data for January. Yeah, right. okay. they, they, yeah. bind their, they, they combine their January, February numbers because of the impact of the Chinese, of the Lunar New Year holidays. So it's been a while since we've actually had a good read on what's going on in, in the Chinese economy. That will um, that'll be fixed in the next couple of weeks when we get... Uh, the, the, the numbers for the two months combined, and so we'll have a better idea. But if you look at the PMI numbers, they've actually been a bit of a concern. Um, the PMI numbers are one of the few things that do come out still on a monthly basis at this time of the year, and they're all showing a pretty uh, consistent trend of, of uh, weaker conditions over the last three months in China. And that, is that generally across the economy or just manufacturing yes. or just services? No, it's both manufacturing and services and, and, yeah. and both the official numbers and, and the PM and the and the sort of private sector PMI numbers. So, uh, yeah, until we, you know, we get um, a bit more clarity, it, it's hard to say exactly what's going on. But, uh, you know, it's probably uh, just some weakness in major trading partners. You know, Europe in particular is probably mm-hmm. having an impact. And, you know, the fact is over that sort of two or three month period, we have had some more uh, COVID outbreaks in parts of China. Okay, nice one. Um, So 
you cover Korea now. Uh, we're all delighted to say. So is there anything to say about that? Um, I thought we had a, a fairly decent acceleration in the inflation rate as far as February is concerned. Has that got any implications? What's going out there is the start of a new trend or uh, is the central bank reasonably happy the way things are going at the moment? Uh, I think they're happy to keep policy accommodative and, and sort of not too worried about uh, inflation right now. It's still well below their 2% inflation target. It shot up, I think, from about 0.6 to 1.1% um, yeah. in January. Uh, that was, though, um, largely due to food prices. Um, uh, that, that, might, that might have been a, a Lunar New Year holiday surge as well in, in food prices. Uh, if you look at other um, category, major categories of, of prices, um, you know, they weren't showing any really alarming trend. Uh, so I think they're happy for the time being to keep policy um, pretty supportive. Uh, but it, they're looking okay, though, if you look at the activity numbers as well. Their PMI uh, survey uh, at the start of the month was, was pretty strong, and uh, most of the um, activity numbers are, are tracking okay as well. And that's actually what we're seeing. Uh, apart from China, across the region, actually, we're, we're getting some pretty decent uh, uh, numbers um, India, Japan has, has also been um, a little bit better, and, and as I said, Korea. So hopefully uh, a lot of this has to do with the, the vaccine rollout and some improved confidence about things. Um, but, but, yeah, we're just probably waiting for the rest of the global economy to, to kick in and, and provide that really uh, extra support to, to exporters in, in the Asian region. OK, I must say, largely from my side, so you mentioned about the vaccine rollout just quickly in terms of regional development. So how how's the COVID situation going in your part of the world? Yeah, it's, it's kind of uh, it hasn't really been on the front pages in the last uh, four or five weeks, really. Got to be uh, good news. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's, um, you know, it's obviously still uh, a concern. And there's I think Hong Kong and, and Singapore have had a few uh, cases and, um, you know, still public health restrictions in place. But. Uh, it hasn't really uh, had a huge impact, I think, on some of the of the numbers that are coming out at the moment. And as I said, if you look at some of the, the confidence indicators, uh, people in the region do seem reasonably optimistic that um, vaccines will uh, you know, provide some, uh, some real boost to uh, you know, the global economy over the next six to 12 months. OK, great. Good. Uh, I, I have a question, for Brian, um, yeah. uh, about China. And uh, official um, monetary policy, also uh, fiscal policy. We have uh, a parliamentary meeting um, coming up next week, and, and we're supposed to get a, a new five-year plan. Also, um, there's been talk on and on, uh, on and off, day to day, on whether or not um, uh, financial conditions are being tightened there. Um, what uh, what is the outlook? Is China going to be an outlier? Uh, um, are they going to be are, are they going to be the first one that we see that will begin to withdraw stimulus? I I, I think uh, you know there would be uh, interest in uh, in Beijing to do that if they could because you know as I said before they are worried about our debt levels and and the impact on overly. Uh, you know, accommodating fiscal policy in particular on on some of the, the provincial governments. But, uh, you know, it remains to be seen whether they sort of feel they can do that. If, if you know, these PMI numbers that we've had over the last three months, if that's indicating um, some renewed weakness in in uh, economic activity, then uh, they might have to press pause on that. I mean, we, we do have, um, as you said, the, the MPC meetings coming up and 
they tend to, um, you know, not necessarily, uh, you know, limit what policymakers do afterwards. It, they, they tend to be more sort of aspirational uh, targets for where they want things to go, uh, particularly over, you know, the next 12 months. But, um, you know, if, if, if conditions do change, uh, you know, I, I think you would see uh, policy also change pretty quickly. Also, I have a question on uh, the Australian uh, bonds. They seem to, they've been moving. Is it just my imagination? Are, have there been these, you know, vast, gigantic day-to-day moves, like 15 basis points on the 10-year and um, degrees like that? And when that happens, is that ordinary? Does that make the financial press in Australia? Is that like a big headline? It does, yeah. Uh, and, um, you know, probably not, though, as much as uh, as moves in the exchange rate. That, that tends to to uh, get people a little bit more uh, riled up about what's going on there. But, um, you know, it, it, it does, um, you know, obviously flow through to uh, uh, people's consciousness. But to be honest, uh, you know, the, the, obviously the most important thing for, for most people, though, is what impact that has on, on mortgage rates. And, um, and so that that's, hasn't really, uh, you know, flowed through to those at the moment. OK, right. Well, thanks for all that. So, Mr Pender... Uh-huh, uh-huh. Talking of stimulus, we obviously get to the Fed. Now, to yeah. quote Jerome Powell from last week, oh. the economy is a long way from our employment and inflation goals. Mm. It is likely to take time for substantial further progress to be achieved. Mm. Now, the Fed didn't seem to be overly worried by the, the jump in yields or indeed that the steeper mm-hmm. curve last week. But mm-hmm. given Powell's mm-hmm. comments, you know, is there a kind of a limit to how far they're prepared to let these yields back up? Well, it's funny you should say that because he made the same comments just today um, and they have sank the or they're sinking the um, stock market. I don't think that there should be much of a surprise today. He returned to his inflation expectations uh, anchor for himself. It's an anchor for his own outlook on on how to wage this uh, battle. And uh, he says that they're not going anywhere, that they're uh, ingrained after all, a generation of, uh, of underperforming. So he doesn't see any immediate risk. And, you know, it's interesting uh, that inflation will brew. Or, and he made the, the one-time comments um, that we're seeing um, uh, um, uh, those policymakers who who um, who uh, want to stay dovish, uh, they you know uh, they're starting to cite the the same kind of evidence, and uh, so uh, I don't think that the Federal Reserve is really kind of moving at all um, toward uh, that tapering. Um, uh, moment, but you know it's interesting because the RBA we were talking about, uh, Brian was talking about, mentioned the the, the three year uh, horizon, and if uh, Powell didn't mention three years um, when inflation will finally hit target, that uh, he, if he didn't say it last week and he didn't say it this week, he said it the week before, and actually it's all contained in the FOMC um, um, economic. Uh, forecasts so it's really no surprise he's just underlining you know where two percent hits when it hits or when they think it could hit within the range but are these global central banks uh you guys you think that they're all on the same page with this that they're all looking at each other's forecasts and that if we look out and we stand back there's really just kind of a centralized um general uh view what do you guys think 
Well, I must say, from my side, I'd, I'd say no. I think some central banks don't appear to be concerned at all about the backup in yields, but some of them, and in my part of the world, certainly the ECB um, is the standout character, and you know, some of them clearly are. Um, and I guess it comes down. But to, what about their fork? I'm talking about their inflation forecasts. Well, Have any of them changed? Is it all? If we look at all of them across the the, the world here, will we all see this two percent, you know, emerging and 2023 2024 well i think we, we, we haven't really seen much much change in inflation forecasts in this part of the world uh recently whether that changes though in, in the next couple of months then yeah that's that's definitely interesting but over it here. hasn't happened yet yeah sorry um yeah over over here i mean it's um, it's a good good question actually because next week obviously we get the ecb meeting and it's the quarterly meeting where they're going to update their economic forecast so um, a lot there's a lot of focus on that at the moment because we know that the ECB isn't happy about the backup we've seen in, in eurozone uh, longer dated yields and there's always talk about they may stop up their bond purchases but in terms of the economic forecasts knowing yes we have seen a bounce in inflation coming out of the eurozone in January but the February data showed the core rate starting to, to cool a little bit and you know looking at the latest set of forecasts which okay for December you know these effectively suggested a policy was still too tight because inflation still isn't getting close to this two percent medium term so two to three year you know, target that they're operating with now for the bank of england when they updated their forecasts in february they intimated that they saw um because due to the, the vaccine rollout the fact it's been pretty successful over here they did see a higher level of inflation than previously but even so by the end of the forecast you're talking about it pretty well being in line with where it's supposed to be so i think from what the central banks in europe still appear to be saying at least at the moment anyway is that they don't regard inflation as being a big issue yes they do see a short-term blip due to some technical factors and obviously that the bounce we've had in the oil market but on the, under, the underlying trend i think they don't see at this stage as being you know significantly different and i guess that's one reason why they're so determined to convince the bond market look inflation's not going to go up a lot therefore yields don't have to back up a lot well on that note it seems that that's the uh, majority view of global central bankers. But then we have the chief economist at the Bank of England. Now, last week he said something. He was talking about um, inflation being the sleeping tiger that's going to wait, that's going to stir and devour us all. Uh, do you have any background on on Andy uh, on, on Andy's history? Well, he's actually, Andy Haldane, you say, the chief economist of the Bank of England, he's actually tended to be one of the more dovish members um, of the committee. Now, he does come out with various research papers and extremely intelligent pers person and doesn't always talk the, the standard central bank line. But it's interesting, if we go back to what just a few months ago, he was the person who was touting this view that at the end of the day, the bank is much more concerned about what's happening to the UK labour market than it is about what's happening to underlying price trends and he was a person who was who was actually coming out suggesting that at that stage when the the, the uk furlough the employment furlough was expected to end in april he was talking about levels of gdp in relation to how far it should be versus pre-coronavirus pre times in terms of gauging whether or not the labor market would deteriorate any further so i think yes some I mean, it's perfectly fair to say that you know inflation has been a sleeping giant for some time but it's been a sleeping giant for so long 
that I think a lot of people are kind of thinking, well, what's really changed? All we've seen so far is you know, an acceleration, certainly in some of the commodity markets, albeit a fairly aggressive one. But why have we had that? Well, I mean, part of the reason, presumably, is due to the COVID disruptions. We got huge disruptions in some of the global supply chains. And as far as the UK is concerned, of course, that's also being compounded by all the Brexit problems with the ports and transportation and so on. So in some ways, it's perhaps not too surprising that you'll get at least a sort of a temporary spike. The real question mark, as is you know, what ultimately determines inflation and it kind of comes down to what's happening with labor market and wages so unless we're going to see a big bounce in wages um, I think a lot of central bankers are taking the view that what spike we do see if we do see one in inflation it's going to be you know relatively short-lived well you know we're that, that just reminds me we, we, we've also had um, you know some people here in Australia just worried about maybe a return to inflation but it's people who have very, very long memories. Um, we had a, uh, a former prime minister, John Howard, uh, come out this week, and he was, yeah, you know, he was prime minister back in the 90s, uh, and before that, he was the the treasurer way back in the 70s. So he can he has a really long institutional mm. memory of of when inflation was actually a problem, and he was he's just saying, you know, don't don't assume that it's never going to come back. Well, the 10-year note in the U.S., as we've been speaking, just about have got, has gone up another seven basis points here. So we're at 155 right now. And the 150 was supposed to be some kind of a, you know, a psychological level, of course. So we just shot through that. Um, so this, this theme isn't if, going away. But if we put 155 in context, I mean, what yes. we're up about, we're about roughly what where we were a year ago. Yes, but it's a yes. You're right. No, so, and, but so, it's a yeah, speed. It's it's going yeah, straight yeah, up. Fair enough. I appreciate that. But it does seem to me that yeah, you know, if if you sort of you know, if you've been on holiday for you and came back, you think mm-hmm. oh well, what's happened to the bond market? Nothing. Uh, mm-hmm. Yields now mm-hmm. are where they were before. So really, mm-hmm. all it seems to me, it, partly it comes down to I think the fact that you know, clearly investors, markets are looking at the vaccine rollout and thinking that well, all being well. This is how we finally get rid of this coronavirus, or at least we return to some sense of normality. Mm-hmm. And if you really believe that, then presumably yields now should be back to where they were before the coronavirus. Yeah, but the first but normality place. doesn't have all this huge amount of stimulus flowing into it from fiscal and, and monetary sources. Uh, so this time a year ago, or uh, it's not the same background. It, it's not the same, you know, uh, things at work in, in the market. No, appreciate that. But I suppose I can play devil's advocate and say that, well, you know, we think about the the hole which came in aggregate demand as a result of the coronavirus. Mm-hmm. Had we not had that stimulus, then presumably yields would be so negative that we'd never seen anything like it in, in our lifetimes. But that hole is healing. And now it went and the, at least the Fed doesn't seem very interested right now. I mean, it can't go on forever if, if the tenure, if interest rates keep going up, there, there obviously will have to be a point when then some statement will have to be made. Um, but, uh, you know, will the Fed start controlling the market? Will they start, um, you know, uh, bringing those yields down? And that could be no. a very... Uh, yeah. uh, I agree. It's interesting. I mean, think about what's happening at the moment. Effectively, you've got central banks saying the short end of the yield curve, which they really can control, isn't going anywhere. So Fed funds is staying where it is. You know, bank rate is staying where it is. You know, whatever the benchmark interest rate for the central bank isn't going to be hiked. So the short end's pinned. 
So if market inflation expectations continue to rise, then the yield curve is going to keep getting steeper and steeper and steeper. And it must raise a point at some stage whereby your markets simply lose confidence in central banks. They think they're so far behind the curve mm-hmm. that you know, they do simply don't have control of inflation, which is guaranteed to rise at some point. So well, I mean, know, it's a fascinating time in I think, the way markets operate. Well, you know, it's the median effect on the U.S. housing market right now. We have weekly purchasing uh, mm-hmm. uh, indexes from the Mortgage Bankers Association. So that's really live news. And it's three or four weeks in a row. Now that um, these indexes are going down sharply lower, they've been, of course, very, very sharply higher. But uh, like they were, they were up like 25 percent, 20 percent compared to this time last year or, or a month ago, and now they're they're dead flat. Just and so um, that would be a, and that in a way is you know predicts is. Uh, higher interest rates in the future, too, in a way. But, so, but is that a plus fact? Is that one reason why the Fed appears to be not too concerned about it? Because you've talked, you talked on various mm-hmm. podcasts saying that you know, the housing market is overheating. Well, is this not a means of actually, you know, a, a, a effective allowing the market to call the housing market of its own accord without the Fed doing anything? Yes, that's true. It's a self-balancing um, act. Okay, right. Fed. Jolly good. Well, let's move along since we've been prattling for a bit. Um, before you finish, Mark, uh, apart from anything else you might want to say, employment report Friday. What's going to happen? Okay, let's see here. Well, the indications we had a, a, a decline in uh, well uh, in jobless claims. Uh, that's two weeks now that we've seen. They, they declined uh, very sharply, 111,000 in the prior week, and they only rose back 9,000 on this week. And this was much better than... Uh, expected. The thing is, is that this uh, uh, covers the single week at the end of February, whereas the report that we'll see tomorrow was sampled in the mid part of the month. So that's not going to accept affect expectations for the report. <coughs> Excuse me, but the expectations are very are mediocre. Uh, another uh, really um, soft report. Please excuse me. And let me just see here to get the, the latest uh, Canada Day consensus is 175. It's been going up a little bit. It's been inching up uh, uh, through the week. Uh, that would be for non-farm payrolls. And that would be a, a you know, an, an average, solid, good, moderate reading in a normal economy. That's not what they want now. I mean, it, it, first time uh, jobless claims, for example, are, are, there are over 700,000. That's three times as much as it was before the pandemic. Interesting. It'd be interesting if we were to get a really weak employment report, presumably uh, tomorrow on Friday, whether or not it might actually start to quash some of these inflationary expectations. And of course, you know, if we get a particularly strong one, then given the, the current focus of the market, presumably we could see yields actually move significantly higher. But okay, you know, what's the, interesting about yeah. this average hourly earnings now, I know uh, uh, that's an interesting topic yeah. for you, Jeremy, and with the UK. And here, a bit, that would be the, your standard look for inflation, very important look, but that has been so distorted now because of the uh, absence of the, or the reduction, proportional reduction of low yeah, wage. Same thing here. Yeah, but, same uh, thing here. Yeah. Okay, right, moving on. Um, anything else uh, you want to chip in with, Mark, before we get into Europe? No, Powell and employment, that should do it. 
Done. Good enough for me. Okay, uh, summarise Europe then. Um, Well, as I mentioned, the ECB has certainly been unhappy with a backup in yields over here. Um, Over the course of the last, what, few days or so, we've had three fairly heavy duty hitters from the central bank, and that includes uh, President Christine Lagarde and the chief economist Philip Lane doing their best to try and talk yields back down again. It was interesting. We had the economist, uh, the chief economist, I should say, um, suggesting that um, the ECB is not engaged in yield curve control in the sense to quote that it wants to keep um, it wants to keep a particular yield constant. What they're saying is that with the, the purchase program, we are trying to move the curve in a certain direction with enough force to support inflation dynamics. Well, whatever that means, I'm not really too sure. But I think the bottom line is that it does suggest that the ECB does not want to see yields move higher. And that's despite the fact we've got the entire eurozone yield curve, at least the AAA borrowing curve, still negative out to some 17 years or so. So it kind of intimates that the ECB is looking around at what's going on in the real economy and it's not too happy. And if you look at the recent data, you can kind of see reasons for why. I know that manufacturing is doing okay, but services to all intents and purposes are still in recession. There's been some negative knock-on effects from the, the fallout from Brexit. And in particular, the lockdowns we've got across a large number of eurozone states at the moment has had a big impact on consumer spending. So the retail sales figures out of the eurozone we had out earlier on today, month on month for January, they're down almost 6%. And that's the steepest decline we've seen since what April of last year in the midst of the first virus wave. And indeed, if we look at actual discretionary spending, you know, that was down 12%. And this is just a month on month figure. You got a huge decline in Germany. In fact, over the last couple of months, German sales have fallen more than they did back in March and April of last year. Um, Austria, as far as January, just picking out some of the individual states, that was down almost 17 percent. So all the signs are that first quarter Eurozone GDP growth is going to be negative. So that's the, the double dip recession that people have been musing about, almost done, done and dealt now. Um, and I guess that's why you know, the ECB at the end of the day does not want to see anything which will jeopardise the chances of uh, the eurozone starting to pick up some kind of steam later on. And as we talked about before, the coronavirus, uh, sorry, the coronavirus, the vaccine um, vaccine rollout, I should say, um, within the eurozone is still extremely slow. Um, it's running at about a quarter of the rate we've got in the UK at the moment, about a third of the rate we've got um, taking place uh, on Mark's side in the States. And it's raising concerns that these lockdowns will be in place for that much longer. So I think, you know, let's quickly looking into next week. There is certainly speculation that we could see some additional easing uh, from the ECB, although my guess would be if they were to do it, it would be through this pandemic emergency purchase program that only has a ceiling. It doesn't have a monthly purchase rate. So there's plenty of room left within that at the moment. So they could quite happily come would out they and target that at the long end. Would they target that buying? Um, Not specifically, I don't think. I mean, most of their, um, if you look at their weighted average mean duration of the bonds they're buying at the moment, it's typically around about, well, depends what we call long end, around about seven to ten years, something like that at the moment. Um, But I think that's, we we get weekly data out of them, but the latest figures don't actually include the big push, up push we had in yields at the back end of last week. So it's hard to say whether they've actually started increasing their purchases yet. But it's going to be interesting next week to see what they actually come out and say, because I suspect they'll certainly make at least um, some strong comments of the fact they don't want to see yields move any higher. 
Um, UK, we had our budget over here yesterday, and the bottom line to that is very much that as far as uh, the UK government's concerned, they're still most worried about the state of the real economy. Although the fourth quarter was quite good over here, we actually got positive growth, which was stronger than originally expected. The first quarter is expected to see a fairly significant decline. So the budget added, what, another 65 billion sterling of extra help to the UK economy this year and next. So they're not messing about. Um, they've extended the furlough period for another six months. And that's important because it reduces pressure on the Bank of England, which, as you mentioned, is particularly worried about the labour market at the moment, reduces the chance of them coming out and easing again. So that should be at least a bit of a plus factor as far as the pounds concerned. Stamp duty thresholds also been extended, but there will be a big hit to uh, potentially a big hit to UK growth once we get beyond 2023. That's when they'll be freezing personal income thresholds. And they'll also be, in, notably, has been one of the biggest increase in corporate taxes on, uh, corporate, on corporate profits that we've ever seen. So it should be decent growth, potentially. This all comes to fruition over the course of the next few years. But um, beyond that, say beyond 2023, there may be quite a big hit coming down. Um, what else I mentioned? I suppose just of note, um, we talked a little bit about, about this on a previous podcast. And that's this, uh, you know, the move into you know, the so-called green market and green bonds. So part and parcel of the budget yesterday was that the um, the government will be looking to issue the best part of the 15 billion sterling worth of green bonds with a view to starting to build a green, well, effectively a green yield curve. And that's uh, the kind of move we expect to see happening more and more across Europe because ECB is going to be do doing very much the same sort of thing. Um, OK, well, I guess that's pretty well it from my side. I, I, have, a, I have a question. Yeah. So, Let's all we all you know, we cover these regions and all this economic data. And by flying from the seat of your pants, let's all say whether or not we see inflation as a as a risk. I mean. Um, as a fundamental risk that could change the uh, economic outlook. Now, I'm not talking about the markets. I'm just talking about inflation. So over, I'll say from – from what? pardon me? Uh, sorry, over what sort of term? Are you talking this year, the next two or three years, or – well, let's look. Yeah, well, uh, let's look over this year because the markets are, are, seem to be re reacting very quickly here. So let's just the near term outlook. Well, we've all kind of already agreed that there that there will be some kind of one time post post COVID burst of prices. But outside of that, okay, let's call it medium term. Is there, or let's just say, is there a, para, a shift in paradigm? Is there now going to be an inflationary awakening? Is that a change in the whole the way the whole thing goes? I will say from the U.S. data, I do not see that. Well, I'll say from the European data, particularly at the moment, I'll go along with that as well. Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't want to just sit on the fence and, and say it's hard to say, but, you know, it, there's no indication of it yet, um, of, you know, a real substantial shift in um, just you know, that underlying trend that we've seen for, for, for many years now. Right. Yeah, you know, it's not as if we haven't uh, done all we – it's not as if policymakers haven't done all they can to really, you know, create the, the conditions for it to happen. It's just it's just not happening yet. Yeah. 
it's just interesting to look at you know, what happened during the um, the last global financial crisis. I know we've had you know, the likes of the US pumping in a lot more money this time, but other central banks and some governments have pumped in more money than they did during the during the last crisis. And of course, inflation after the last crisis didn't really go anywhere at all. Um, so I don't, it will be interesting whether or not the structure of the world has changed sufficiently that given the amount they've they've stuck into the economy this time, it, it will make a will make a difference or not. Okay. Um, good talk, I guess, as they say. Um, so we, yes, as always, we've been talking on for probably too long. So let's wrap it up there then. Um, on behalf of Mark, Brian and myself, thanks as ever for listening. The podcast will be back next week. But in the interim, everything you need to know about the key market moving data and events can, of course, be found in the very user friendly form of Econoday's global economic calendar. We'll see you next time. Bye for now. <laughs>